Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We are continuing our Top 10 Prospects podcast series today with the Pittsburgh Pirates, and to do that, we are joined by Tim Williams. Tim has covered the Pirates farm system for many, many years through his own website. He recently came on and started covering the Pirates for us here at Baseball America. This was his second year doing the Pirates Top 30 for us. Tim, the Pirates have gone into a full-blown rebuild they went 19-41 and 41 during the shortened season last year, the worst record in the major leagues. They will have the number one overall pick in the 2021 draft. First year under new manager Derek Shelton and his coaching staff, as well as new general manager Ben Charrington and his administration. Everything kind of went backwards. We saw them start to really put the rebuild into overdrive with the trade of Josh Bell on Christmas Eve. There's reportedly more trades to come. When you look at the Pirates right now, where they are, the major league team, the farm system. How do you kind of assess their place in the game? And really, how long is it going to be before they are competitive again? Well, I think it was clear that when Sherrington took over, they weren't uh, close to being competitive at the major league level. And then from there, it's kind of looked like it's been just salvaging whatever you have, whatever value you can get, and quickly trying to turn it around. It looks like at this point they have a couple pieces to build around that have emerged with, you know, Cabrian Hayes having a very promising rookie year, Mitch Keller showing some positive signs, but also some concerns with the control. And then first two years, you've seen the good and the bad from Cabrian Hayes and Brian Reynolds. So you don't really know what you have there, but as far as the future hope, I, I think that they've been adding some guys, uh, you know, to the upper levels that can help that group, but a lot of the promise really lies in the lower levels where they're adding a lot of high upside guys, just, you know, wild card guys that they can develop. The previous organization did a good job of developing those guys in the prospects, uh, but not into major league players. And so we're going to see if they can both get those results of getting new guys like Eddie Yeen or old guys like Quinn Priester from promising young teenagers to actual major league players, uh, you know, it, it's, it's going to be really the make or break for this organization. Yeah, one of the things that I think from the outside looking in kind of raised my eyebrows a little bit was how much a lot of their guys took a step back this year. And obviously a big part of that, it was a pandemic season. It was a much smaller sample size, only 60 games during the regular season. But even with that, 
outside of maybe the Brewers, I could not find another team that just team-wide, their entire offense just cratered. Josh Bell dropped 50 points of average and on base, more than 200 points of slugging percentage. Adam Frazier, 40-point drop in average and OBP, 90 points of slugging percentage. Brian Reynolds, 100 points across the board, all three slash line categories. Kevin Newman, 70-plus points of average and OBP and more for power. Gregory Polanco, 80 points of average, 100 of OBP, 200 points of slug. Even guys like Jacob Stallings, Eric Gonzalez, Cole Tucker, they all went backward too. And I remember talking to an evaluator about this who had Pirates coverage, and he said, and again, it was all video scouting this year. There's only so much you can glean from video. But he said it was pretty visible. There was a team-wide approach change, whether that was implemented by the front office or the new coaching staff. Hitting coach Rick Eckstein remained from the previous staff, but there were other new coaches who had a say in this as well. Short version was their players all got worse, and then they went and traded Josh Bell for two players in Eddie Yeen and Will Crow, who while certainly have some promise, that's not like a package where you say, oh, we have to jump on this right now. We're never going to get a package like this again. An interesting young pitcher, a more major league ready fifth starter type. It just seems like that's kind of a bad recipe to start a rebuild selling low as they did with Josh Bell. Yeah, I think it's it's a challenge too, because you, you laid out uh, kind of a timeline there that uh, it creates a unique situation here where the old front office up until 2019, they were behind the trends on the approaches to using new technology to discover the optimum swing in the game. They were almost openly mocking the launch angle trend and everything like that up until that point. They brought in Rick Eckstein to try to make a change, but you know, then they made a change a year later for the brand new front office who as you mentioned, they kept Eckstein, but went with their own change. I heard on the minor league side a lot of similar stories to what you were hearing, even from before the pandemic started, where this group was making it a priority to kind of push technology, to push analytics, and to better incorporate that into the development for a player, where as previously, that was kind of more of a optional thing that a player could do if he wanted to put in some extra work, if he wanted to go the extra mile. Now it's something that's more fully incorporated into it, which isn't a novel thing. It's something that a lot of the organizations that are ahead are doing, but this is one of the reasons the Pirates were behind because they weren't starting with that in the minors. They weren't utilizing new technology or utilizing uh, new approaches to the game to, to maximize production from a guy like Josh Bell. And you look at the attempts that they've done, 2019, he had – an amazing season, 2020, a horrible season. I, I think that you're right in that they could have a situation where they really regret the Josh Bell trade, where he could go to Washington and look great and add a lot of value. But I think there's also a very real possibility that with all the changes that have happened and with the just lack of training that Bell had coming up through the system that probably led to that, what are the odds that he's going to turn it around in the next six months if He's been so inconsistent at this point. I think that's another thing that has to be evaluated. And do you think your chances are better with uh, Eddie Yeen than with, uh, with Bell? I'm certainly going to be interested to see if a lot of these players bounce back because obviously there's always introduction of new technologies, new philosophies, but you also have to tailor it to the player a little bit and do everything you can to make the player the best version of himself. And I think anytime you see a team-wide decline like we saw, again, 
Brian Reynolds is a good hitter. Kevin Newman showed himself to be a good hitter with the improvements he made in 2019. Josh Bell's a lot better than what he showed. Gregory Polanco, whatever his issues, was way worse than what he had been in the previous year. So I think that's going to be key to me to watch. And again, Cabrian Hayes came up and had a really good 24 games. Colin Moran's the one guy who was there all season where you can say, yeah, he was better than he was last year. But I think that's going to be as important to the Pirates' future success as just talking about purely the players. It's about this front office, this coaching staff, putting the players in the best position to succeed. And again, the introduction of technology is hugely important, but it's also about tailoring everything to the player. And I'll be curious to see what they do moving forward, if that means they just ship everyone out and try and start over, or if they try and modify, because whatever they did last year very, very clearly did not work. And I do think it would have made some sense to hold on to Josh Bell, see if he can rebound a little bit, and depending on where other teams are at the trade deadline, try again. Yeah, and I, I totally agree with that. I think that the question you'd have to ask then is, uh, you know, it, it seems like in that scenario, you're putting the hope in the fact that they can get the most value out of Josh Bell in the upcoming season to try to increase his value going forward. And I, I think that would be the, the best approach to try to maximize that. Um, it, it, it's kind of interesting that a lot of what they're focusing for their trades for a lot of the moves that they've made have been towards the lowest levels, like almost just starting, starting from the bottom. And it, I, it makes me wonder what would they have done if Bell had three years left of control rather than two and one of the upcoming season. We're, we're already talking about shortening the season, possibly reducing the amount, which means it leaves more up to variance. I, I think that there's no wrong answer because there's no guaranteed way to get maximum value out of Bell. You know, he, He's been inconsistent to this point. There's no – I'm a huge believer that there's a lot more that we've seen from Bell to a ridiculous portion where this could be the second person that I've covered that the Pirates have traded away for a little return that ha- then goes on to live up to his potential as an MVP guy. I mean, the, the same type of power and upside that Jose Batista had a while ago and – like you said, that was a similar trade where they could have kept him. They could have, they could have kept him a little bit longer, tried to see if that would have happened in Pittsburgh. But looking back on that, what are the odds that that situation is going to happen in Pittsburgh if it hasn't already? I think at some point you just have to be realistic of what you're capable of at the major league level. I, I wouldn't fault them for trying to keep Bell and regain his value, but the fact that they couldn't do it already last year and nothing has really changed wouldn't make me hopeful that that path is more guaranteed than just taking a raw Eddie Yeen and a somewhat experienced Will Crow and trying to extract more value out of it that way. I, I think it's just two different approaches and you, you don't really have any guarantee either way. The future is what the Pirates are banking on. We've seen that with the trades they've made. We mentioned Eddie Yeen and Will Crow. They also picked up Jose Soriano with the first pick in the Rule 5 draft. They traded for Luis Oviedo. So they've picked up four young pitchers who, again, Will Crow is ready for the major leagues right now. The other three are further away, but all hold promise. Everything about the Pirates is angling toward the future. And with that, I want to dive into the farm system. The cornerstone of that future appears to be Cabrian Hayes. Hayes came up this year and was absolutely sensational through his first 24 games, hit 376, seven doubles, two triples, five home runs, was just 
squaring up everything and simply crushing baseballs while, oh, by the way, playing ridiculous defense at third base. This was an extraordinarily exciting debut. I think the question is, what can we realistically expect from Cabrian Hayes over 162 games? Just because, again, he's incredibly impressive what he did, but I think we can all agree he's not going to hit 376 over a 162-game season. Yeah, I mean, his numbers were definitely uh, lofty in the rookie campaign, but I, I think the fact that you started to see power, uh, that, that was always the final piece that you were waiting on early in his uh, pro career as he was coming up to, to see if that would start to come along. And the fact that it came on so much there and came on as a result of some, you know, some changes and some approaches that he went about to actually bring that. And he started seeing the results that he sought out for. I think that you're not going to see, uh, you know, 376 hit or something like that, but a 300 hitter who can get kind of, 375 OBP and 500 plus slugging percentage with gold glove defense. I mean, that's a perennial all-star. It's a guy who, if you improve on that, it's an MVP candidate. Like I am very high on the future of Cabrian Hayes. The Pirates don't have a lot to put around him right now. You look at the 2021 roster and you can find question marks everywhere. And he is the one spot where, you have a guy who can provide possibly more than just average starting potential who can make an impact and be a guy that you can build around and try to build a contender in the future. And it's an exciting guy to watch, but at the same time, it's, you know, how much does he have to do early on to make up for the fact that it's just him there, you know? Given that, was there any debate, for anyone else at number one, just based on your discussions with evaluators, both inside and outside the pirate system? Well, I think as far as total upside, um, you know, O'Neill Cruz has the highest upside of anybody in the system, but obviously still raw. I mean, you can dream for days on, uh, you know, the tools that he has, the raw power. Uh, there's the question mark of the accident that he had in the Dominican over the summertime, but everybody you know involved the pirates feel that he's going to be ready by the springtime and it, he's playing winter ball uh right now so as far as total upside I, I liked Cruz as far as like the highest ceiling but I, I would still take Hayes because I think that as far as the floor you're talking about Hayes looks like he could be an average starter with very little work and development to go and the lofty ceiling to go with it whereas Cruz there's a lot of impact and, and ceiling there but it's it's a lot of question mark about where he fits on the field and how much those tools will pan out it's almost a similar situation to Gregory Polanco where you had just a guy you can dream about with Dave Parker comps and you know 40 home run uh potential projections and it just hasn't come together how much of it will come together for Cruz and how soon yeah, I will say this is a promising top two to start with when you're looking at farm systems at really the start of a rebuild. These are promising players. And there's more in the system. Nick Gonzalez and Quinn Priester checked in at number three, number four. And this was an interesting discussion. Initially, just given Nick Gonzalez's pedigree as a premier hitter in college, now it was at New Mexico State where there's no question he was facing mid-tier competition in a very hitter-friendly environment, uh, but he hit very well in the Cape Cod League. I dug in with evaluators on the West Coast about him leading up to the draft, and 
I was impressed and, and even a little surprised just how much conviction there was that, yes, this guy is going to hit. No, it's not just a product of New Mexico State. And then you have Quinn Priester, who I have no qualms about saying the reviews that I got on him based on Instructional League and from the alternate site, given that scouts were able to watch video and get some data from the alternate site, there was no player I heard about this year that got more raves. I mean, the things scouts were saying about this guy, it bordered on the ridiculous. And not because the statements were ridiculous, but because this guy has a chance to be ridiculously good. Ultimately, Gonzalez slotted in ahead because you're still dealing with a high school right-hander who has yet to pitch above rookie ball. And more often than not, when it's close, you're going to choose the hitter. At the same time, I know I'm going into 2021, and Quinn Priester is probably the prospect I'm most interested to see and the prospect I feel like, you know, every year when we release the top 100, someone asks, who's the guy that you think could, you know, be a top 10 prospect this time next year? Based on everything we heard about Quinn Priester, if he goes out and shows that, to me, he's, he's the guy. It sounds like there's a really potential special pitcher here. And ultimately, if you wanted to make him number three in the system, I don't think it's necessarily wrong, just given the hitter, pitcher, high school right-hander, polished college hitter, pedigree and track record, you give the slight edge to the hitter. But I got to tell you, I'm really excited to see what Quinn Priester looks like after everything we heard this year. Yeah, he, he's definitely an exciting person. And pairing those two up, it was an interesting part of this ranking process uh, this year because, I mean, you know, you guys had a lot of really good information on Nick Gonzalez. Obviously, that's your wheelhouse covering the guys from the draft and everything like that. And we were starting to get some really good reports. And I had a long conversation with, uh, you know, Quinn Priester on just the stuff he had been working on this year, kind of what went into his development. But then also, you know, kind of getting a lot of the same reports that you're referencing, where it's just a lot of lofty reports to the point where it's almost surprising. And I, I remember in my original ranking, I put him at number three over Gonzalez because at that point I had not heard some of the some of the things that we had discussed in the rankings about how good Gonzalez was viewed by the, by the scouts and how lofty his stuff was. And I was hearing Priester thinking maybe I'm crazy for putting him above, but then you guys started hearing the same stuff I was hearing. You know, once Instructs hit and he started getting on the radar more and more. And I, I feel like he's been such a big riser, but it, it follows the trend for him that the fact that he can develop his game and improve like his, his status and his standing without coaches, without anybody, he just goes home, watches a YouTube video and then figures out how to do it, teaches himself and then does it. And next thing you know, he's throwing upper nineties and pitching, at the double A level at the alternate training site at the age of 19. It's, it's one of the craziest thing, things I've seen. So I'm just going to read you the reaction to when I said, Hey, Quinn Priester, what do you got? When I spoke to a scout who saw him in instructs quote, Oh my gosh, this guy, this guy is a monster. Yeah. Anytime the reaction starts with that, and then he goes in again, I don't want to read the rest because I don't want to give away the entire report. But I mean, anytime you say a guy's name and the scout's reaction is that, that tells you something. Um, yeah. 
I know I'm very excited. And, you know, I talked about reasons for skepticism with the Pirates based on major league development this year in terms of their hitters and then selling low on them. But I think if you're optimistic, it's based on what Cabrian Hayes did. We've talked about the upside of O'Neill Cruz. Gonzalez, again, there is conviction amongst evaluators who are very, very good at this that, yes, he can and will hit. And then the types of things we were hearing about Quinn Priester are rare and special. This is where I think the optimism comes. And again, it would not surprise me if Quinn Priester goes out and shows he can maintain this jump in stuff over the course of a full minor league season. We're talking about one of, if not the best pitching prospects in baseball with some graduations, of course. I mean, that I know that sounds aggressive, but I, I just think anytime we hear the types of raves we were hearing, you pay attention. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, objectively, that's you, you look at the top of this system and to have a one through four of Hayes, who we're talking about a potential gold glove, all-star third baseman, Cruz, who has some of the highest upside in the minors, highly athletic guy, and then Priester, a potential top of the rotation guy, and Gonzalez with the chance to be a batting title winner. I mean, you're, you're talking about a dynamic top four that can really fuel a rebuild, but I think the skepticism in Pittsburgh really comes from the fact that we've seen all this before. I mean, we've seen a top four that's had Garrett Cole, Starling Marte, Jamison Tyon, Gregory Polanco, people like that. And we're talking about Josh Bell at the start of this and what he can do and what kind of value they can get. And the fact is they haven't gotten that type of value from Bell. They, they didn't see it from Glasnow and Meadows until they went elsewhere. They didn't see it from Garrett Cole until he went elsewhere. And the big problem has been the Pirates haven't had a shortage of high upside prospects in the past. They just had a flawed system that wasn't develop, developing them to the point where they could be productive major league players in Pittsburgh. And that's going to be the ultimate test. None of this matters talking about the upside with Hayes, the upside with Cruz, unless they fix what was going wrong in the development system to lead to Glasnow and Meadows and Polanco and Tyon and Cole not having the results everybody dreamed about in Pittsburgh. In fairness, they did help Andrew McCutcheon grow into an MVP, and they did make the playoffs three years in a row. So I think there were some successes. But, yes, your overall point that there was definitely a sense that Garrett Cole did not ascend to the heights he could have during his time in Pittsburgh. As you mentioned, the Glasnow-Meadows deal is one that is definitely going to stick in the craw of Pittsburgh fans for a long time. I, I think there was a, a key change at that point, too, because objectively Cole was one of the better pitchers in the league, and you were hoping he would make that next that next step. But I, I feel there were a lot of changes in the league around 2015, 2016, and the Pirates weren't as quick to adapt as other teams and kind of got caught in what they admitted at the time was, you know, a kind of a bridge year where they were – in between, we're up here, we're, we're contending, but we're also, we have all these prospects who are coming and we need to go to a rebuild and how do we kind of make that adjustment? And it's, it's fair to say they didn't really make the adjustment following two, 2015 and didn't get the best results from their farm system in the years to follow. So that will certainly be the big test for this top four group. Moving into the back of this list, there's some interesting guys. First, we're going to take a quick break, quick word from our sponsors, then we'll be right back with Tim Williams. And we're back with Tim Williams discussing the Pirates farm system. Tim, we've hit on the top four. Very, very talented as we put together our top 100 at Baseball America. 
I know all four of these guys are in my personal top 100 and approaching uh, the top 50 of my top 100. Now, top 100 is a collaborative effort. There's a lot of feedback involved with front office officials around the game. So I'm not saying that's where they'll all be, but I know for me personally, I consider all four of these guys to be in that top 50, top 60 range. And I think they will be in the top 100 when all is said and done, just based on the performance, the reports we have. Moving into the latter six players on this list, Leover Pergura was the top player they acquired in return for Starling Marte, and there's certainly a lot of potential there. However, he still has yet to play above short season ball, so there's a lot of development left. It does feel like there's a bit of a drop-off once you get past Peguero into the 5-10 to 10 range where it's some interesting guys. How do you kind of assess the back group here and, and ultimately how close was it? Well, it kind of went uh, a little bit more ceiling heavy with a lot of risk in that group. I mean, uh, in, in addition to uh, Peguero, you, you have a couple pitchers who are you know hard-throwing young guys who haven't made that jump that we've seen from Priester into the point where it's a you know, legit pitching prospect who you can start to picture in the major leagues as a very high probability chance. Uh, you've got, you know, Tana Thomas, you've got uh, Brennan Malone, who are both upper 90s guys and, uh, you know, at the age of 19 and 20 already. And where are they going to go in their first full season coming up? You know, I, I think you have a lot of breakout potential guys where you're hoping that out of that first four, you've got you know, four guys who can arguably be in a top 100 out of that following six. I think you have a couple guys who could be in the discussion for the the latter half of the top 100 next year, just based on the performance and what they're capable of of doing in the upcoming season. Yeah, Peguero's a guy I actually kind of looked at as sort of a potential back of the 100 guy right now. Um, Again, there's been good reports on him, and I think just seeing him make the jump to full season ball will be very telling. And, you know, as you mentioned, Cody Bolton's been in the system for a couple years, but Thomas and Malone, very young pitchers. One name that's absent from the top 10 we do need to hit on is Travis Swaggerty. He was a first-round pick for the Pirates just a few years ago. This is the second year in a row that Based on your discussions with evaluators, both inside and outside the system, Swaggerty has not cracked the top 10. Why is that? I think part of it is the concern about, um, you know, he had the offensive numbers at South Alabama. It's kind of a smaller school, and he hasn't replicated that yet in pro ball. And it's it's been an A-ball where a, a college hitter you expect would not have as many issues. It, you haven't seen the the power production yet, and there has been a little bit of concern with the swing and miss that hasn't fully shown up in the stats, but that projects to be a bigger problem as he goes up to double A AA and triple A. So I like Swaggerty in the in the sense that you know he, he's a tremendous defender. He can stick in center field. He's got the potential to add some positive value on the defensive side, and then he does have the power and speed combo that you could see a guy who is a starter in the majors up to an average starter, but. I think there's some risk in the bat that could get exposed once he gets to double A. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a real test to see if he can make the adjustment to finally put up the numbers that match what he did at uh, at South Alabama. Ultimately, how many guys were in the mix for the back half of this top 10? As we mentioned that the top four pretty firmly there, this five to 10 group, how many players would you say were in consideration? For me, there's a line about, uh, you know, 
eight or nine, right around uh, right around where you start to get to uh, you start to get away from the high ceilings and you start to get to guys who are more the swaggery, the JT Brewbreakers, where you're talking about a back of the rotation starter, maybe or a, an average starter in in the field. And I I think that there's there's a group of maybe six or seven guys who can compete for those final two spots of you can either choose from here's another guy like a Braxton Ashcraft to add another highly projectable tall right-handed pitcher to the mix or you can go with another guy like Swaggerty or uh, you know a Mason Martin type person to say here's another potential average starter it's it's a lot of people in that range towards the end who you're looking at still the potential for uh, starter upside but you're you're looking at that starting to be the cap whereas it's a lot higher in the first part of the the system where you have more higher ceilings and you have you have a lot of uh, a lot of projectability to dream upon yeah i will say one thing that interested me is again it's it's a really good top four again Piguro top five uh, you mentioned the promise of bolton thomas malone you know, Jiwon Bay did win the South Atlantic League batting title, and Carmen Moljinski was a very well-thought-of college pick. So there is some strength through the 10, and, and you go into the teens, and you do find guys still like, you mentioned Mason Martin, who, again, big power hitter, you know, a, a big tool that can potentially carry him. So it does feel like the Pirates are adding depth. Again, we mentioned the four pitchers they acquired recently, Eddie Yeen and Will Crow in the trade for Josh Bell. Jose Soriano, Luis Oviedo uh, through the Rule 5 draft. Soriano through a, a direct pick and Oviedo via trade. So they are adding arms. They are adding some more depth. And as you mentioned, I, I think this is, you know, we're doing our organization talent rankings. Uh, someone on social media was very, very upset at the suggestion that the Cardinals have a, a better farm system. But this is a, a top half of the major leagues farm system. Um, again, there's still some trades that are happening and Different teams are moving in and out of the top and bottom half based on you know moves that are being made. There's still some moving pieces, but on the whole, th- this is a top half farm system. And we've talked about within the NL Central, whatever gap there might be between them and the Cardinals, it's not huge. And I think you'll see that in organization talent rankings. There is talent to work with here. And like you said, I think the biggest test now is, okay, how do we get it up to the majors successfully, get the most from it? And you mentioned the failings in the past, but they can replicate three postseason appearances in a row. I still feel like that qualifies as a win. Oh, oh, for sure. And I, I think that if you look at what they were doing there, I mean, you know, they were the organization of the year after 2015. They had one of the best farm systems and they had one of the best teams in the majors. And if they can get to that point again, that that's fantastic. I think everybody would take that type of result, would take – you know, a, a three-year stretch and hope that they get better results than having to face uh, Bumgarner and Arietta when they're on fire uh, every single year. But uh, you know, I, I I'm optimistic about the changes that they're that they're making because to me, following the system closely, especially throughout the minors, seeing a lot of the stuff where you know the the Pirates were being passed up where they weren't really following the trends that you were seeing was leading to success for other teams. You're, you're actually seeing those being implemented now. So that it's not just, well, this is what they have to do and we'll see if they can do it. They're actually taking the steps that are the steps that are recommended and that are the steps that other teams have followed to lead to success. So 
the fact that they have a combination of, you know, as you said, a, a top half farm system and, and a system that I think is on the rise more than on the decline because there's so many guys who, you know, they're going to improve more than they're going to level off. I, I think they have just such a good combination that you add proper development that can improve the results that they had where you're not only developing so many top prospects, but now you're developing those guys into top major league players in Pittsburgh. What I'm ultimately focusing on is how can they get better than the last result and how can they get beyond the wildcard game? How can they get beyond those early things and beyond just a three-year window to try to maximize what looks like a really promising system uh, in the future? So the big question is, how far away are they from that? Are we talking three years? Because again, this is a team that posted the worst record in Major League Baseball last year. Second straight, last place finish in the Central. They're trading off, it appears, as many veterans as they can. Again, it's only been Bell so far, but we're seeing Joe Musgrove in trade rumors, Stephen Brault in trade rumors. There's no question about which direction the Pirates are going. How long of a time frame are we looking at, even with the promise of this farm system, even with a number one overall pick coming in 2021? I could see 2023 on a more kind of aggressive timeline. Uh, you have a real advantage here that they have Cabrian Hayes, um, you know, already in the majors, already showing that he, you know, he can be productive. Now he's probably going to get adjusted against, but still a very talented person to lead the rebuild and he's already here you have upper level guys like you know Quinn Priester could be there by 2023 with as quickly as he's moving O'Neill Cruz could be at that point we'll see if Swaggerty is uh you know an option for center field at that point Brian Reynolds and Kevin Newman are still on the team Mitch Keller is leading the rotation as well along with some of the other younger guys that are coming up and you, you look at some of the pitchers that they have that will still be around. I mean, you, you don't have a lot of high upside guys, but you have some guys who can fill out the rotation and be three through five guys. I mean, the, the addition of Will Crow, he at first seemed to me like strictly a number five starter, but looking deeper at his stuff, you know, with, with some proper pitch sequencing, with some proper, you know, lining up of, uh, of his pitches, which all had, some promise individually in his short time in the majors, it, there's a chance that they could maybe get a guy who is more than just a Stephen Brault type who maybe he could crack the majors after a couple of years and maybe more a Trevor Williams type where you get a, a couple of years of a, a pretty decent starter before things fall off. So I think from the top down, they, they have some promise to where if things go right and if they do have a solid development system, they could have something by 2023. We shall see how it all plays out. Tim, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your insight as always. Hey, thanks for having me on and thanks for having me back this year. Absolutely. All right, everyone, that'll do it for another edition of the Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Tim Williams, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.